This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We got a stacked show. We got a bunch of people joining us a little bit later. Bryson Turner is going to join to talk about baseball. We got Drew and Kyle to talk about some AAC news. We got a whole bunch of stuff going on, Eric Lopez, but we got to start with the Super Knights themselves, UCF softball. They are heading to the Super Regionals for the first time. First time a UCF diamond sport has headed to the Super Regionals ever. Baseball has not done it yet in the Division One era. Um, and uh, we and we were there for it. Bryson was there for it. You were calling the games on Twitch, Eric. And uh, hey, do we have a clip? Let's drop a clip in here. Let's drop a clip of Eric Lopez giving us the final out from UCF uh, against Michigan and the Knights going to the regionals. Woodall delivers. Line caught by Macario. Twenty years, the day in the making. UCF for the first time are regional champions and for the first time will advance to the super regionals nine to four knights win and charge on what a moment elo it was wild last yeah surreal would be the word uh in a packed place at the plex to get that final out from Macario, uh, it's something I'll never forget. I don't think anybody that was in that building will ever forget. What a weekend. The alumni then charging in to help uh, celebrate with the current team. Just a special moment. One of the best moments ever on the UCF campus. I wrote about this on the Black on the Black Eagle Banneret. It's up there with College Game Day hosting uh, UCF. You know, when UCF hosting Game Day, I should say. It's up there. It's This is an iconic moment for the university, for the program uh to to break through not only host but to beat michigan and advance to the supers it's uh i mean it's just uh, surreal i mean that's the word i keep coming back to it's still surreal to me even if it's just happened like last weekend well 49 and 12 eric and now the re uh, the rubber is going to meet the road because awaiting ucf is the number one team in the country not just what I think the best – I think you and I both agree, the best team in the country all season, but probably one of the best teams maybe ever in the history of softball, of college softball, the number one ranked Oklahoma Sooners. Just to give you some uh, context about, uh, uh, about what Oklahoma is right now in uh, – in college softball, their record, they've only lost, what is it, Eric, two games all season? That's correct, two games. Uh, to Texas yeah. and to Oklahoma uh, State, the Big 12 title game, yeah. Yeah, so they're, it, it, now, interestingly, they lose in the Big 12 title game, right? They are not conference champions. <laughs> still the number one, <laughs> excuse me, still the number one overall seed. Tell us about Oklahoma. What is UCF up against in this series? Well, ESPN just came out with a cover story on Wednesday. They believe that Oklahoma is not only the most dominant team in softball, it's the most dominant team in sports. That's the headline. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. They're going for a back-to-back national title. 
They've outscored their opponents, I believe, something like 547. And they're doing it without their best pitcher. Jordy Ball has been out with an injury. They hope to get her back. It's uncertain. doesn't look like it'll be this weekend. But they still have depth pitching-wise, and they have the number one offense in college softball. So it's a tall task. They're the favorites to win the national title. They're at home, which is a tough place to play. Uh, so yeah, you, you drew a, a strong number one. I mean, they're, they're stronger than anybody in women's basketball, any other sport you can think of right now. They're led by probably the national player of the year in Jocelyn Allo, who's going to win it for the second year in a row. All-time home run queen in college softball, but it's top to bottom. They can hit for power. They're explosive. And, uh, certainly UCF's got their hard, uh, work cut out for them. Well, here's what they did in the regional, Eric. Beat Prairie View, run rule them 14 to nothing. Beat Texas A&M three to two. Beat Texas A&M again twenty to nothing in five. So you're, I'm doing some quick math here. That's thirty-seven to two in seventeen innings that they beat all the teams in their regional. Let's look at the two games that they lost, Eric, including the most recent, especially the most recent one where they lost to Oklahoma State four to three in the Big Twelve Championship uh, at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma City, the home of the College World Series. What happened in that game like, that gives you the that could give you an indication that like okay if this happens somehow for UCF here's how it's going to go down? Well, you you stay away from the big inning. Those teams stayed from the big inning. They took a lead because Oklahoma is a great front running team. You get behind them, it's just going to snowball on you. Uh, I think you got to throw on orthodox. You got to hit different spots. You got to jam them inside. And I think that's something that Haley Ducini at Texas and Maxwell in Oklahoma State and that staff did. But you got to give them different looks. And you can't give them the same looks every time. You play clean defense. Can't give them extra outs. So there's a recipe there. I mean, Oklahoma has been pushed. Uh, but the key is to stay away from the big inning. That's what Sidney Ball Malone said this week. You know, they get off going on big innings and putting up cricket numbers. You know, they are an explosive offense. When they go, they go, they'll put up five, six, seven runs, eight runs in any. They can do it easily in a blink of an eye. So you got to take it an out, of, uh, an out of play, play clean, get ahead of the hitters. I think UCF's going to have to be effective pitching inside. And then offensively, when they have opportunities to score, they got to deliver with runners in scoring position and try to get play ahead. Uh, because if you fall behind Oklahoma, it's like an avalanche. Yeah, 52 52- and two um this season i mean the numbers are just like astounding they're they're uh they're averaging 9.1 runs this is coming into the regional they were averaging 9.1 runs per game they were averaging giving up 0.8 runs per game they have a strikeout to walk ratio team strikeout to walk ratio of basically five to one um they (laughs) it's this is a, this is a tall task, but but can UCF do it? In your in your expert opinion, really looking at this objectively, can the Knights do it? Well, they're going to have to play at the high level, but they've been shown to have done that. They have beaten the Texas, they've beaten the Virginia Tech, they've beaten Georgia, they'll miss. They've gotten the schedule to do that, so they're battle tested. They're not going to be intimidated. They're not going to be in all playing in Norman. Uh, but they got to play well. And, you know, like you mentioned, Oklahoma doesn't give you anything free. You're going to have to earn it. UCF's going to have to get off a good start. And I think game one in particular, they're going to have to be ready to go right from the get-go because 
You 81% of teams in the Super Regionals that win game one go on to win the series. You're not going to beat Oklahoma back-to-back games. But what you can do is maybe take game one, and that's the thing. This team is good at winning close games. Put, put them up against the wall is what you're Put saying. them up against the wall, put the pressure, all the pressures on Oklahoma, and you hope you win the close games. You execute down those plays down the stretch, and I think that's – uh, a thing that certainly will uh, will be key factors. The one thing we know for sure is UCF's not going to catch Oklahoma, you know, out of nowhere. Patty Gasso this week on the press conference had to say, UCF is not under the radar, not anymore, and they're they're really good. They play a very tough schedule to their credit, and it has paid off for them. They've won some big games, and um, I'm not going to say they're under the radar because they're not anymore. Um, they're playing. Uh, I think they were playing for the championship against Wichita State, who's a big hitting team. Um, they play some tight games, but they always seem to find a way to come through it, you know. And they played a good Michigan team. They were not intimidated. They were celebrating the opportunity to play at home. They deserved it. They earned it. And they used it the opportunity very well. So, um, they're good. They're like I said, they're good. And in order to stop them offensively, we've got to be good on the mound. We've got to be really good on defense. We've got to be heads up and ready for anything. Um, offensively, their pitchers are outstanding and they've got more than a few that can do the job. So uh, we just got to stick with our game plan, continue to trust in the training that we're doing. Um, allow the crowd to engage the way they normally do and uh, really create what we feel is going to be a home field advantage. Looking at the TV schedule, UCF's going to get some national TV pub here. Is that right? You know, we're looking at ESPN two for the first game ESPN for this. uh, That's on Friday at four 30 ESPN for the second game on Saturday afternoon. If it gets to Sunday, you know, possibility of national TV for that too. This at the very least, I mean, obviously the draw is Oklahoma, but there's an opportunity here. Yeah, I think this will be the most watched UCF softball game ever, uh, surpassing the Michigan game the last weekend, which did a big number. I think it'll be the most watched non-UCF football game of the year. And it's good. Now, the bad news is it's Pam Ward's doing the game. If you know Pam Ward, she did the UCF women's basketball tournament as well. So uh, she'll be working with Jenny Dalton-Hill. And it'll be a great spotlight, a great exposure. I think UCF will get a lot of pub, uh, and obviously Oklahoma will be the main topic, but UCF will get it. It's you know They got a chance. If they play well, they'll be talked about. And they got to play well early and not play timid. Even Coach Bumalone said in the beginning of the Michigan game on Saturday, they played a little timid. It wasn't until about after the fifth inning where they loosened up a little bit. They got to play loose, play aggressive. Otherwise, Oklahoma will feed off the fact that you're playing timid. That's the thing. Oklahoma feeds off teams that are not playing with confidence. They will smell it. They can smell it from a mile away, and they will be ready to play. And as Patty Gasso said here this week, as we'll play here, you know they're going to depend on their home crowd for a big advantage here when they host UCF. Yeah, or Maria Hines Field and uh, Norman is where they're going to be playing. So I want to go back and 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 let's and let's talk about the Orlando Regional um, real quick while we have the chance. UCF obviously won their first game against Villanova six to nothing. Saturday, the game against Michigan, j- just an all-timer. Um, the Knights fell down two to nothing, fought their way back. 
uh, and forced extra innings. Uh, and the uh, the star of the game really was uh, was well, well for me it was two stars. Stars, obviously, you know uh, what an outing by Kama Woodall, um, going all eleven innings on a hot, humid day, striking out ten, um, allowing only one earned run. Uh, and three walks on 181 pitches. That's a UCF NCAA tournament record for innings pitched in a game uh, and uh, pitches thrown in a game and also strikeouts uh, in a game as well. And uh, meanwhile, Michigan had to burn three pitchers and one of them had to re-enter as well. So basically kind of like four pitchers. Uh, and then the other star of the game, of course, was Matty Bejarano, who... Um, Start with UCF down to their final strike, Eric, in the seventh inning, uh, delivered an RBI uh, double to right center that scored Janice Giroux that tied the game at two cent to extra innings. When it was right down to the end, she came through. And then after, you know, in, in four tenths extra innings, finally in the 11th, uh, Maddie got picked up another double this time down the right field line um, that scored Molina and won the game finally for uh UCF obviously I mean put this game this first Michigan game into perspective for just the drama that we saw uh in a in a uh, over that four hour and 15 minute marathon it's the biggest game in the history of the program I mean you win by if you lose that game you got to dig yourself out of a big hole you probably would have had to you know that you may not have been able to get out of but Maddie Berhorano with the biggest hit maybe in the program history to tie the game up, send it to extras, and then win it again. What a story for her. Her brother, everybody knows by now, Tanner, has been down, fights Down syndrome, has Down syndrome. Uh, some of the alumni has already stepped up and has chipped in to fly him into Oklahoma. It's an incredible story, and she's a remarkable story. And Kamal Woodall wouldn't be denied. 11 innings, maybe a legend a legendary performance that's the mike hughes kick return moment right there is came woodall and it's a win it set him up perfectly in the regional it forced michigan to play an extra game wear out their pitchers wear out their team in 90 degree day it was 101 heat index in front of a sold out crowd and it really set him up to win that regional and uh, what a what a what a job what a job by them but that game will be remembered forever four hours 15 minutes of drama, suspense, uh, incredible, incredible moment, and a great win for UCF, and uh, well-deserved. It, 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 it'll be a game that'll never be forgotten, probably one of the most significant wins in UCF athletic history in any sport. Give us a story from that game that, that, that maybe people didn't see that was that, that you'll remember. Well, I think that what I'll remember is Woodall just fighting there, going 11 innings and getting stronger as the game goes on while people are wondering how much does she have left? Well, she had plenty left in the tank. But she then really also, did get stronger as the game went on. I, I was really impressed with that. Yeah, and then you got UCF obviously continuing to put pressure on Michigan uh, and finally delivering. I mean, Bejarano with the hit. But again, Justine Molina got on base. And it was other players not named Jada Cody, Shannon Doherty, who stepped up. And that's been the story of this team is they have other players could step up in a moment's notice. Maddie Barrano didn't start the game. She pinch hit. Uh, right. So that's, again, an, an, an example of how deep this team is and kind of the character of this team. That's what I will remember uh, with played in a 90-plus degree day and just wearing out Michigan. And then you wondering, okay, well, when, when are they going to play again? And it's going to be Sunday. And 
but they don't get to they don't win the Sunday regional without winning that Saturday game yeah. uh, and being on and national Jada, television. Jada Cody, yeah, interestingly enough, Jada Cody did not have a good game. She struck out twice, uh, left some runners on base, but um, you know, you talk about players contributing. You know, she made a tremendous contribution on defense in that game too. Yeah, I mean that she showed off why she's a valuable player beyond her bat. She's a great glove behind the plate at third base. I mean, she showed. I mean, yes, she had a quiet offense outside of the Villanova game where she hit two home runs, but yeah. she was super valuable defensively, and that's UCF defensively. They were solid throughout, after, except for one blunder early in the Michigan game. Uh, they're going to have to be that way against Oklahoma throughout, but uh, it's a team that's battle tested. Like I said, from the get go, they've always been in these tight games. They have found ways to win these close games. They don't get phased by playing in close games. And I think if you're going into this weekend against Oklahoma, it's the same deal. Give yourself a chance, keep it close, and then try to uh, make the plays down the stretch and put the pressure on Oklahoma. And that's what UCF was able to do in that uh, in that last game of the regional. Yeah. And by the way, we need to spend a little bit of time just shouting out the UCF facilities crew who – you know, given all the uncertainty around the schedule, bad weather all over the place. At one point, I think there was a tornado watching effect around the stadium. Um, That's a little exaggerated. There was not a tornado watch in the stadium. That was further away in Maitland. But if right. people that are not used to being in Orlando just assume it's Orlando. Such as such as Michigan's head coach, for example. Right. I mean, uh, which is fair. I mean, if I lived outside of Florida, I would think the same thing in fairness. Well, no, it's it's not fair, but we, we won't. We won't well, if maybe, if, maybe if weather people did a better job in their jobs in general, then people would understand where it actually is. No, it's not their job to make to make it's not their job to make Michigan's head coach who doesn't who constantly whines and gets her gets her away from it. She uh, wasn't whining. I think she had a yes, fair she criticism. She yes, had a fair. Just because you wanted him to play three games doesn't make it right. She was and, she she whined and they got their way and you know what it blew up in their face and I'm just glad well, it wasn't it gonna played. matter first of all they were never gonna play three games I don't nobody whoever was gonna UCF wasn't gonna play three games nobody will ever play three games in a single day not in this era not in this era it's never gonna happen again so uh, but it worked out it didn't matter because Michigan the big problem for them was they had to play in the heat so they had to play South Dakota State a full seven innings before playing UCF. And I think that was the and that big game, And that game was no, was no walk in the right. park either. Correct. And I think that was the thing. I remember talking to Coach Hutchins before the regional, and they got to Orlando. One of the things they did, they worked in one of the facilities. They turned off the AC because they're getting trying to get used to humidity. I don't think those three other three schools were accustomed to the humidity in here in Orlando like UCF was. I think that played a factor more so than the actual schedule uh, deal. So... Uh, I thought it was uh, that played a, a factor, and certainly when you lose that game in Saturday, like Michigan did, you're up against it because you got to play extra games, you got to deal with weather. Everybody knew the weather was going to come at some point that night, um, and so it did not come on Sunday. Ironically, it was fine on Sunday, but uh, it was you know they just took it took its toll. And look, UCF's been in that shoes the other way in Gainesville and Tallahassee. I've seen that millions of times where UCF teams lose that winner's bracket game and have to fight all the way back from the loser's side. It's not easy. That's why I've been saying it for years, and this was uh, justified this weekend. Having home field is huge, and now you saw what it meant for UCF. And that's why, regardless of what happens this weekend, this is a monumental moment for UCF. They got to host 
which buries the whole narrative of, you know, three teams in the state can't host. That's a, it was always a bunch of nonsense. Now they know they can host. And not only did they host, they cashed in. They won the regional. Uh, that's going to pay off down the road beyond this week for this program moving forward. Yeah. I, I, and I wanted to mention that too, because, you know, we saw a really good turnout, especially on Sunday for the, uh, for the regional championship game, which started, you know, at, at in a little bit of an unusual time, but UCF got the win nine to four to clinch it. Um, you know, they were up five to nothing. They were up eight to three, nine to three at one point, um, you know, before Michigan, Michigan tried to get a, one of it back in the last inning, but you know, how, how big was this for the program from a business perspective? You know, you got a good TV audience, uh, and you got uh, and and the extra seats that they brought in were filled. Yeah, sold out. I think what it tells you, I, I mean, they've made revenue this year. People forget that they've made revenue going into this regional. They were twenty second in the country in attendance, uh, total attendance. So, I think they have the fan base. I think the administration knows that. I think the administration will take a look at what happened this weekend, and they'll. they'll I think they're going to work on some things that to help improve that stadium, improve the the experience. Uh, and I think they know they can make some money out of this program. Obviously, they got to keep Coach Ball Malone. I expect that to happen. But UCF softball now is the Olympic sport now at UCF. I think, and I said this on Black and Go Banner. What are the advantages that softball has? It's an outdoor sport where and people in UCF like outdoor sports. They like to tailgate. They like to enjoy the good weather in Orlando. Softball and baseball have that ability to do that. Uh, they're also not going head-to-head with football like the fall sports are. Soccer and volleyball will right. always be capped. They will never grab the city like softball has because there's a, it's during football season. Football's king. Softball has a little window here where there is no football, and they've capitalized. And you've seen it with all the local news covering it, which I've never seen. I mean, everybody's been covering this from a local news standpoint, from a sports standpoint, uh, all over the platforms. And I think people have been kind of caught up to this team. They are, they have been galvanized by this team. Uh, they're easily able to be exposed. You can see their faces. You can see their reaction. You can see the emotion. The sport is hot. It's not an accident that the sport is doing very well in television. From an interest standpoint, people get caught up in it. You you just can't avoid it if you don't yeah. watch it. I think a lot of people that weren't softball fans are going to become softball fans moving forward and the expectations will be different they will be treated like football and i welcome that so uh the expectations will go higher but the interest will be higher uh and now i think every february people will be kind of curious how softball looks but that's that's the ramifications of this weekend i think you will see some sort of renovations moving forward with softball i think they are behind football as far as the priority list and I expect uh, the stadium to get worked on over the next few years as they get into the Big 12. And obviously, Coach, uh, the staff, I think, will get taken care of. Yeah. All right. So, um, no, I think you're I think you're absolutely right about that. And it's interesting to see UCF riding the wave of softball. And you were right. Post-COVID, Eric, like this is so- college softball's moment. I think that they – that the sport in general – has been uh, has been one of the things that benefits is that the game uh, the overwhelming percentage of the games are close, they're dramatic, the sport moves quickly, uh, much more quickly than baseball does. Um, you know, even the, even the three hour game against Michigan, the four hour game against Michigan, it was it was just non stop 
drama and 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 those games are the exception they're not the rule most of these games are done in and then two and, hours and they're yeah. tight and it leaves you a lasting memory whether yeah. people are going to remember the maddie bejarano walk-off hit a shannon doherty walk-off came on woodall pitching women's basketball for example doesn't have that for all the success they had there's not one moment people remember from any of their games because it's a blowout uh softball doesn't have that issue uh, they've been fortunate, and they've had a lot of dramatic moments, and people get caught up in that stuff. It's Walk no different. Home runs, Ashley, right? You know, that, that we've seen, uh, Shannon Doherty. Correct. It's to me. I've said it. Softball is the women's sport version of college football. It's got rabid fans, passionate fans with passion, enthusiasm, drama, suspense. That's what we like as humans, and I think that's what softball brings to the table. And you know, soft UCF has taken advantage. They've taken advantage big time by winning the regional if they would have lost the regional it still would have been a great year but they would have been right. like yeah but but now they've won the regional so they're they're playing with really uh they, they're playing with no pressure they've accomplished everything they could now they're just trying to pull off one of the biggest upsets in college uh, sports history and if they do that <laughs> now you're talking about maybe they enter the conversation of maybe the greatest ucf team in any sport period if they pulled that off. wow all right well are you heading out there I will be here remotely. Uh, I'm not going to get into the health stuff, but uh, there's people in my house that uh, cannot uh, be left alone for a long period of time, but I will be uh, broadcasting remotely. All right. All right. And we'll, that'll be on Twitch, right? Same place we've been uh, through the regionals. That is correct. All right. All right. Good stuff, alternative. Good all right. So, well, enjoy it. And again, the schedule for UCF softball in the Norman Super Regional, it is a best two out of three. Game one, Friday, 4.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Game two, Saturday, 2 p.m. on ESPN. If necessary, game three will be Sunday at a time to be determined. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo for all the latest and follow us, UCF, on, UCF Banner at underscore SBN for all the latest on our uh, on our following UCF softball as they try to pull off, like you said, Eric, what could be one of the greatest upsets in college sports. Did you see the thing that I tweeted out earlier, by the way, about that? No. About, uh, I think it was uh, stats. I wanted to say, let me, let me pull, it, pull this up here. I want to see if I can um, find this real quick before we go. Oh, by the way, did you see the, uh, did you see the message from the Orlando Pride or uh, Amanda Cromwell? Michelle Akers uh, and uh, Eleni Reyes, you know, uh, and uh, uh, who else was there? Oh, Carrie Lawrence, the UCF people for the Orlando Pride, sending well wishes to uh, to UCF softball from the Orlando Pride. And uh, I think yeah, that was cool. Other... That was cool. That Gus was Mons really cool. To a see. Nice boom for the team. It was good. It's been great to see other yep. people getting involved. Absolutely. Yep. No, that's fun. It's they've really, like you said, they've really captured things here. And I think one of the uh, uh, softball analytics guys, I think here's, here's what it was. They uh, have a UCF with a 31% chance, 31% chance of winning that regional, which put on your Jim Carrey hat. So you're saying there's a chance. Hey, got to play him out. We'll see yep. what happens. All right. So we'll follow it Friday, 4.30 ESPN2 for game number one. All right, Eric. To let Eric go, Eric Lopez Elo. When we come back, Bryson Turner is going to join us uh, to talk a little UCF baseball as they make their way through the American Athletic Conference tournament. They got a win to get into the NCAAs. Didn't look good off the first one, but the Knights' uh, bats woke up 
in a big way against Wichita State. Can they make it to the championship a la what they did last year coming up just short? Can they get over the hump this year? We'll see what they can do when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon here, joined by Bryson Turner as we move over to baseball in the American Athletic Conference baseball tournament. Um, and the task is clear for UCF in Clearwater as uh, they're two games in, one and one, lost the opener, uh, but came back. We're recording this on Thursday, which means that last night, which was Wednesday, uh, UCF um, defeated Wichita State uh, to get to, to to stay alive in the tournament. Eliminated Wichita State twelve to four. Big W for uh, a, a big W for UCF. Big night for Trent Taylor too, who was fantastic in the ball game. Really, kind of uh, came out of I, I, well, I don't want to say came out of his shell. I mean, you know, he, Lord goodness, he was he was putting on a dancing show the whole night, but. Uh, Two doubles and a triple, uh, and UCF won 12 to four um, to uh, get to Friday. All right, so now they face the winner of Memphis and Houston. Is that right, Bryson? Who are playing on Thursday? Yes, they'll be playing. They will probably have either be playing or have already been done playing once this episode or, goes up. Or I, I beg your pardon. They face the loser of that game. Yeah, they face Memphis. The- and Memphis and Houston, you can follow that at the American.org um, and on ESPN plus. And then the winner of UCF against the loser of Memphis and Houston faces the winner of Memphis and Houston in that double elimination thing. Remember that it's eight teams, two, 14 bracket, double elimination brackets. And then the winners of those 14, those two, 14 brackets face off in a, uh, one game winner take all uh, scenario. So I'll say this: the I'm glad for UCF. I'm, I'm well. I'm glad it wouldn't have. It won't be against ECU if because uh, if we're gonna make it to the conference championship, we're gonna have to beat somebody twice. And I'm glad that ECU is not will not have to be one of those teams like it was last season because that was a big drain. I think that the seeding for this conference tournament actually was pretty lucky. For UCF because we faced Wichita State, Memphis, and Houston, all of which we want we beat we beat in their regular season series. While in the other bracket, you have ECU and Cincinnati, who we both lost to. So I think that the seeding really lucked out for us in that regard. Now that said, it didn't really help against Memphis because we had to pitch against the one pitcher that beat us the True. first time around, Landon Gartman, which by the way. Credit to him for a really, really good season. He was named the newcomer pitcher of the year in the by the American for a reason, and he showed that on uh, and he and he showed that in that first game on the twenty fourth. On the twenty fourth, um, that said though, the offense did a really good job trying to come back at the end. They managed to have Dalton Kent work, really ma- let Dalton Kendrick make a lot of mistakes. They just and managed to adjust late, later on and weren't able to complete the comeback. I mean, I think a comeback certainly was a possibility. It just kind of was a too little too late. Love lady was talking about how the, the bats just weren't that good that after that, but they rebounded against Wichita state much to, to the, what much with the help of Trent Taylor, but also with thanks to um, two RBI performances from Jeffrey Pena, Noah Orlando and Tom Jostin. And by the way, 
hats off to Trent Taylor and Noah Orlando, who are both in their last seasons and really making impactful performances in the conference tournament. Absolutely well done by the both of them. And you talk about Trent Taylor at the bat. Not to, he also made a sliding diving uh, diving catch out there and right field. Yeah, web gem. Uh-huh. So yeah. that was it. Was quite the night for Trent Taylor. I mean, he's not he's not a guy that you know is is gonna be loud every game, but he has his moments, and this is definitely one of them. The guy we really should shout out as well. Um, you know, Rudy Gomez came in in relief of Connor Stain. Stain looked with. Okay, in that first inning, but in the in the second and third, um, you know, really uh, started scuffling out there. Walked four, struck out two. Um, Gomez came in and kind of cleaned up the second inning for, or, or excuse, cleaned up the third inning. Held Wichita State to two runs, so they were able to get within six to three. But uh, four and two thirds for Rudy. Uh, one earned run, four hits, struck out six, walked one. And uh, got UCF to William Saxton, who shut uh, uh, Wichita State out the rest of the way. Gave up only one hit and struck out three in the final two innings. So um, credit to Rudy. I thought he was uh, I I thought he was excellent in that game, kind of finishing off um, and, and picking up Stain when Stain really ran into some trouble. Oh, yes. I mean, um, it's it's unfortunate with what's happening with Connor Stain, uh, love lady in the postgame press co- press conference, which you which is linked in my game recap. That's on the black and gold banner dot com right now. Um, he basically talked about how Stain has just been like one step forward, two steps back with his blister problems, which yeah. is really unfortunate because and there I have a, I have something I can get into in, in a teeny bit that can that really shows how much this team has flipped over the course of this season when it comes to pitching and batting. But um, as far as Stain goes, I'm glad that he got out there as long as he did. Love Lady has talked about how he's just no excuses, and I can certainly see that uh, uh, see that out there when he pitched out there. But credit to Rudy, absolutely well done. He, ha- he had a really good game today, longest outing of his career, a season high for him in strikeouts. So uh, he, he, he and William Saxton picked a really good time to have a good game because I've talked about it before. <clears throat> and because this pitching staff is, you never really know which pitcher you're going to get sometimes. And luckily this time around, Rudy and Saxton both had really, really good games. The really the big question going forward from here is can they and the other bullpen arms keep it that consistently good? Because I did ran some calculations that I've actually talked with you about Jeff yesterday is that before the, is that up through the USF series, the team's ERA was at 3.09, but up at, up through the USF series, the home one, that was when we had those two one hitters against USF mm-hmm. after that, which, but which, which is where Hunter Patterson and Connor Stain were pretty much hurt. And, you know, like Patterson was, I think Patterson only made two more appearances after that before he was out for the season. And then Stain was kind of on and off. And so after, after that, the team has a 5.4 ERA, 5.4. Yeah. A drastic difference in there. Now, that doesn't mean that there were some good pitching performances. Ben Vespi of course, has some really good pitching performances. Cameron Crane has had some good appearances. But the problem on the whole is that 
no one has really been able to keep it consistent because while there are some good performances, there's also some really big stinkers, and which has led to the ERA to, is sent after you, the, US, the home USF series to balloon the way it did. It's unfortunate because on the flip side, in the same period, bef- through the USF series, the team has a two, had a 276 batting average. And then after the USF series, they had a 292 batting average. So their bats actually yeah. improved after the USF after the USF series which you know explains why the 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 offense has gotten as good as they have but unfortunately it just didn't really correlate with the pitching which after losing Patterson and and then Stain being limited ended up just being a toss up of whether it's going to be a good outing or a bad outing and we saw it this week the it was a bad outing for probably bo- for honestly both um both units, the offense managed to r- rally at the end, but it just couldn't really do anything in the middle, but not a very good performance on uh, against Memphis, but then they rallied and they did it against Wichita state. So it's, you don't really know which team you're going to get. And I really, I hope that this day off will be able to get them some good rest. So that way they'll be at 100% in order to play a good game against either Memphis again, or Houston, or Houston. So we'll see about that. And I think also if, if it's against against Memphis, we'll have to see if they have to face Landon Gartman again, because uh, that will end up probably being another uh, another tough out there. Yeah, quite possibly if they get that extra day off. I, I, and this is where the format of the tournament I think is really uh, helpful. If you win, you get a day off. Even if you drop down to the losers bracket, you lose. You got to come back tomorrow, and that's the way the whole tournament goes. Uh, one other note based on those statistics that you brought up, Bryson, too. After that USF sweep to start the conference series, UCF's record was 18-10, and 10, and that's with a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Since that series, UCF is 14-14, and 14, which are, are – and actually after last night, they're now 15-14. and 14. So that kind of gives you an indication of, you know, the inconsistency that we've seen coming after that. But – you know, we saw that last year as well. And then look what happened. They made it, they were basically 180 feet away from a conference championship uh, in Clearwater as well. So they face uh, either Memphis or Houston on Friday uh, in the second game of two on Friday. Question for you, who do you think are we going to see on the hill out there uh, for this game? Are we going to see David Litchfield? Is it going to be the all hands on deck situation. What, what could you, what, what do you determine would be the plan? I mean, I think Cameron crane could certainly be an option. He's gotten plenty of starts now. Now granted Cameron crane getting the start could be a, another all hands on deck situation. He only faced one batter in the Memphis, in the Memphis game. So perhaps it, it not lovely pulled him, not only to save him for later, but also because he gave up a, a, a run on the hit there, which, you know, uh, but, um, but crane has gotten starts plenty of times over the course of the end of the season. And I think that um, that is certainly an option for him to go because I think Litchfield is much better suited as a reliever than he is as a starter. I think that over the course of this season has proved that while crane has done a very solid job at opening. I honestly, I would not be surprised if they, if he went with crane and then Litchfield, I I would not be shocked if they decided to go that route and Litchfield would come in as a middle reliever and maybe go, you know, maybe two, three innings because Litchfield has been extending a little bit because he, you know, after 
his, he got taken out of the bullpen out, out of the starting rotation, put back in the bullpen. He kind of had these one inning appearances. You uh, roughly it's not until recently that he's gotten extended a little further than that. And I think that that's something they might continue to do with him. So while he may not be a starting pitcher, I think that he can still be a long, like a long relief type of thing. And I think we, that a combination of that with crane, I think could be the way love lady decides to go. Unless of course they want to bring back Vespi, but I doubt that they're going to do that on such short rest. And with the potential of uh, having to of needing to beat, you know, one of either Memphis or Houston, the like the winner, if they make it that far twice. So, you know, it's a strain on this bullpen that is, again, has been very inconsistent. You've had some really great performances sometimes out of people like Brady Gomez and William Saxton and all them, but, but you've also had some really some sinkers. So, you you really don't like the fact that you have to stretch the bullpen like you like you have, but it's what they it's what you have to do. I mean, it worked out last time, but we'll have to see how it work how it works out this time. But I mean, hey, you know, if if this team has proven any proven anything, no matter what has happened to it over the course of this season, they they are able to find a way to at least give them a chance. Like you said, they were 90 feet away from the conference championship as a five seed last season. So, I mean, who knows? This might be just be another of the same scenario. All right. So the plan right now, UCF's next game, like we mentioned, Friday. Uh, it'll be fr- late Friday afternoon, early Friday evening, because the first game between Tulane and the loser – of Cincinnati versus ECU, which is Thursday. Uh, that first Friday game starts at 1 p.m. Uh, UCF faces, again, the loser of Memphis against Houston, which a game that takes place on Thursday afternoon uh, slash evening. And then it's uh, if UCF survives that, it's semifinal Saturday, uh, and they would be uh, the second game. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of if necessary. There's a potential for two if necessary games so we could have a four game saturday uh you're gonna have to keep an eye on the american underscore bs or, or american underscore bsb and ucf underscore baseball on twitter for the latest championship game set for sunday noon on espn news all the other games are on espn plus with uh my old buddies jeff brightwell and garrett wolver handling the uh handling the tv play-by-play uh, they've been fantastic all week and uh, uh, miss working with those guys out in Clearwater. So uh, shout out to them. Great job by them as well. So it'll be interesting right. softball super regional going on at the same time, I believe. Right. Yeah. It's so. going to be a busy weekend for the diamond sports out there. So uh, again, get your, get your laptops ready. So uh, in, in terms of having to follow both UCF uh, baseball and softball this weekend, potentially. So, but got to get through Friday first. All right. When we get back, Little AAC revenue news uh, coming down the pike from the Orlando Sentinel, as well as track and field. Bryce, you're going to have an update on that with the East prelims coming up this weekend. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon and Bryson Turner with you and joining us, Andrew Glukoff, that boy Drew on Twitter. The... Uh, Leroy Jenkins of UCF Twitter Mafia is here in the house with us. Um, Leroy Jenkins! He's in. Uh, 
Oh God, he went in. Um, <laughs> the uh, so Drew's here to talk about money, which he knows about being an accountant and stuff. So, um, the story we wanted to talk about is uh, conference revenue distribution uh, from the Orlando Sentinel. Matt Rochelle, uh, credit to him on this. UCF received $7.96 million as part of its annual revenue payout from the American Athletic Conference, according to the most recent 990 tax documents available and obtained by the Orlando Sentinel. The AAC reported $94 million in total revenue for the 2020-2021 fiscal year. Now, that's down 15% from the previous year, but COVID, right? Uh, since it's 2020, 2021. So that's the year that ended July 1st of 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Drew? Uh, it, yeah, the, the end of the year is uh, the end of July. Right, July for the conference. So uh, obviously, uh, let's see, one of the, uh, it went with the full football schedule, 2.6 million on COVID-related expenses. Um, the, it, it had an increase in media rights revenue thanks to its new deal with ESPN, with the league bringing in $52.16 million, which uh, is up about $9 million from the previous year. But of course, that also included a one-time signing bonus for the new media deal, the billion-dollar deal that went through uh, 2032. Um, and also double what uh, they got in 2018-19, which is $22.7 million dollars. Plus, uh, plus the conference got $33 million in postseason tournaments, down slightly from the $37 million reported the previous year. Uh, that did not include uh, Cincinnati getting the playoff spot. It does include them getting the, getting the access bowl, but not the, well, but yeah, not the, the uh, playoff spot. The playoff, right? Those numbers haven't come out yet. We're still in that, in that academic year. Right. That's, that we're not going to hear that until next year um, anyway. So the uh, school that got the most money was Cincinnati at $9.44 million. Houston got 8.5. Tulsa, 7.9. Tulsa raking in some dough. Memphis, 7.97. And UCF at 7.96. Uh, USF got the least of the full members at 7.56. Navy got 5.3, Wichita State got 2.84. Um, and that uh, amount of revenue that was distributed was up 44%. So the new contract kicks in, right, Drew? Mm -hmm. And the revenues go up. Now, obviously, UCF, in Houston, and Cincinnati are getting ready to leave uh, for greener pastures. And I mean, and I don't just mean the, um, and I don't just mean the grass. I'm talking about the money, right? In the big, it's all 12. about the money. It is all about the way. And, and so we're going to see that amount of money, that uh, seven point nine six million dollars, go up significantly. But for the rest of the Big Twelve, it's probably going to go down. But I guess my question to you, starting out here, is, you know, I, I this seems like a pretty good haul on your way out the door with one more year to go. Um, to what extent do you? predict that UCF will get more based on you know what we are thinking about the Big 12 because remember they still have yet to get that new television contract locked in well there's there's two ways of looking at it. You, you first start with the short term which is the remainder of the current deal we got a couple more years on it uh, UCF's probably going to get a half share which is similar to what West Virginia and TCU did when they joined uh, so you're looking at at least doubling that and so you know take that as a win 
you know, you're, you're, they're going to get more money in the, in the short run, which will help offset some costs uh, immediately. And, you know, the new teams that are coming in, UCF, BYU, those guys, uh, this isn't going to hurt them quite as much because they're coming from less. They already know how to budget with less. So they're going to take this little bit of boost. They're going to, you know, kind of probably stashed away a little bit, build back up reserves that got basically torched during COVID. But the new deal is where things are going to get interesting. We all know it's the new deal is not going to be worth nearly as much as the old deal. It's not, it just, there's no, there's just no way around it. However, where we're, we're seeing things kind of change a little bit of, you know, where is the big 12 going to go? You know, right now they're split between Fox and ESPN. And we know that the SEC has basically getting over half a billion dollars every year on this new SEC deal with ESPN that's about to kick in. Uh, you already have, you have the ACC that's stuck in a very affordable deal for ESPN for the for the next decade. Yeah. In fact, Plus, their revenue went up in the COVID year. The ACC and the SEC both went up. Yeah, uh, but the the media deal as a whole for the ACC is is pretty pedestrian, and they're stuck in it for another decade plus. Uh, so it, it's actually bad for them, but it's good for ESPN. However, here's the truth. Uh, cord cutting is a real thing. In fact, ESPN has been kicking the can for a little while about b- building an a la carte product to be able to have ESPN, ESPN2, those channels that you can't get without a television provider available for people to purchase without having a television contract. Right. Uh, because they're losing, they're losing revenue. They're, they're, get, they're getting absolutely you know, hosed. And we, we've seen multiple times of ESPN cutting personnel to try to save costs. And then on the flip side, we see this whole SEC thing, which kind of defies logic. Uh, but ESPN's losing a lot and they're losing a lot quick. And, you know, as we saw an article on 247 Sports out of Kansas State, there may not be a place in the in ESPN for the Big 12 from a financial standpoint. So with that said, you know, CBS looks like they're going hard uh, looking at, at considering the Big Ten. NBC is looking to consider the Big Ten. Fox already has a deal with, with uh, and, a, and, a, and a relationship with the Big 12. I expect that to continue. Uh, you could see another player sliding in, but from a distribution standpoint, you'd still love to find a way to be able to utilize ESPN+. Plus. The Big 12 was the first major conference to use it. Right. And so there, there's precedent there. They may be able to work something out with that where, where they can have uh, a tertiary agreement with ESPN Plus because we know that exposure is valuable. We've seen it with UCF. It helped propel UCF sports uh, from, from a rating standpoint and everything because it's, if it's accessible, people will find a way to get to it. And ESPN Plus is a very large uh, product. Uh, it's easily to get. You know, like I have the Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu combo. Mm-hmm. So my daughter loves watching Disney Plus. I get ESPN Plus too for a few extra dollars. It sells itself. So I have access from that. So we want to find a way to maintain that high level of access. So they're going to have to find a way to get like some lower cost, third level agreement out of that. But from a primary and secondary, ESPN may be out of the cards. Well, I, I think what from what I was reading from the from that Kansas State video, and we'll link to it in the description, is that it's probably not going to be ESPN exclusively. Well, it never was. Yeah, it, it, it never it never really was. I mean, there's always a possibility that they might bail, but I don't think ESPN wants to bail too much here. Um, and, and I think that 
you know, the Big 12 was trying to make the situation as amenable as it possibly can to um, ESPN. We've seen the Big 12 kind of tie itself with the SEC as Kyle Nash joins us as well, the student of the game. Um, and, and we've seen also Bob Bowlesby is actually getting ready to head on his way out as the commissioner. We talked many times on this podcast. Yeah. We talked many times about this podcast that like, you know, Bowlesby may have, you know, in last year burned his bridge with ESPN. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's hundred percent the case, but boy, that was uh, the timing of that certainly seems suspicious just to give you some context as well. 34 and a half, uh, the uh, Big 12's payouts to schools in 2021 ranged from 34.7 million to 36.5 million, but that was in a year where the conference ran an operating deficit of less than 16 million in the second straight year in which it reported a deficit. They are on track to stay on budget for fiscal 22, fiscal year 22, according to. Um, the conference. Now, what will that payout look like when Texas and Oklahoma leave and UCF and Houston and BYU and Cincinnati all join? My guess, and we've said this many times, Drew, uh, is that it's probably going to be less than the 35-ish million dollars that we're seeing right now, but it's going to be more than the $8 million that UCF is seeing right now as well. It'll be a windfall for the incoming teams for the remaining schools it'll be a bit of a haircut, don't you think? Oh, yeah. My projection has always been between 15 and 20. Uh, that first deal, it's it's hard, you know, because, you know, yeah, you have Kansas basketball that carries that side of the brand, much like UConn carried the basketball side when the, the new, the, the current ACC deal was signed. Uh, however, the football brands don't really, you know, you have good teams, but you don't have good brands. The brands aren't valuable. The most valuable brand, in the new Big 12 is BYU as far as from I a agree. value standpoint. Absolutely. Without a doubt, they have the largest base out of any program in the new Big 12. And that that's that that's an understatement. They have their own national channel. And that's because they, they are a national level brand. They survived as an independent the way they did because they are a national level brand. They are not anywhere close to a Notre Dame. But when you look at the other brands, you know, Oklahoma State has always been in the shadow of Oklahoma. Iowa State has been a redheaded stepchild for as long as they've existed. Kansas has no football. Kansas State has moments here and there. Kansas they, has no football. They, I, they, they had, they had a, a flash in the pan, what, in 2006, and that was about it with Mark Mangino. No, fa- no faith in your boy Lance Leipold. Huh? I mean, oh come on. You know, God creates miracles, but I don't think they can create logistically a sound uh, football program at Kansas. Uh, Let's say you got to look at Texas. Bill Snyder. Kansas State is just Bill Snyder. That's and he's retiring. You know he's yeah, and he's leaving. Yeah. So I mean, you Bill don't know Snyder what you can't coach forever. And Kansas State is known for having the worst out of conference schedule year in and year out. I mean, that's not how you build a brand. So you have Baylor. I'm mean, come on. Baylor was it was the Rutgers of the South for a hundred years. Uh, you know they're they they don't have a brand value that can go nationally. Uh, TCU, much like uh, you know Houston and Cincinnati, they're one that kind of rise up. So I, you're stuck with a, a lot of brands that don't carry much value on their own. You're going to have to continue to prove it on the field, which they've done a really good job for you know, over these these past decade and a half. But now you got to you got to get it all gelled together 
and you and basically use this new contract, much like the first AAC contract, as a way of reestablishing the value of the Big 12 brand. I just saw Kyle uh, nearly have a conniption uh, when you mentioned BYU. Kyle, your response to that. Biggest brand. That's adorable. Yeah. And you know what? The people who made that happen are all slowly dying because that's aging. But what I'm getting to is this. Listen, you make great points about certain brands that are more established. But at this point, I'm thinking you're on the uh, the payroll here for for uh, the uh, the attorneys on the other side of that deal. Right. No, what, what I'm thinking is being left off to keep things balanced in the scale here is not is there are I think some- we're losing Kyle a little bit due to some technical issues but we'll talk we'll pop back in here in a second but um but the I, I wanted to get back Drew and 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 Kyle and actually I think Kyle it seems like it's working itself out I want to go oh. back in again because I wanted to see what you were talking about how um uh, about the <laughs> about how it, how it is we're carrying water again um, yeah, the, the, there's certain things I think that are being left out of the concept here. Like for one, it, everything that was said about certain programs being under other programs shadow, especially uh, Oklahoma State. Listen, to think that the greatest mullet in the United States of America isn't recognizable right now is also, by the way, one of the longest tenured coaches in college football, regardless about how Jeff feels about it is something that needs to be accounted for. And oh, by the way, now that Oklahoma is going to relocate to the SEC and get humbled on a regular basis on the football field and crushed possibly into complete oblivion if things to continue to go as they are, I think growth opportunity is something that's not being mentioned here quite liberally enough on this podcast. Over, over and above here, I have to add the fact that since 2018, has anybody ever noticed that when UCF has a bye week, Joel Klatt, ESPN, all those talking heads start bringing them up more than ever before? Why? Because you UCF mafia folks who are good enough here to share with us the part of your day talking UCF stuff, they want that 77,000 or whatever the number is now tuning in as well. Not accounting for that growth as a factor is just something that's absolutely silly and say what you will about the other uh, uh, schools entering in. And oh, by the way, BYU, if it's still that big, you got old and young coming in here. I don't think I think that's getting a little underestimated. I'm not here to say that they're going to break the bank and supplant the SEC. But there's I think growth opportunity here is the main selling point. Now, if I were going to be pessimistic about anything, it ain't the college sports and brands that are the problem. It's the it's the contraction taking place on the media side. Netflix having its first major disaster here just a couple months ago on the stock market. Sure, we all knew it was coming, but that whole mass exodus of uh, customers, not to mention employees, but not to get into that politics and other streaming services struggling on a regular basis. ESPN allegedly hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging money. Listen, my whole thing is this, unless Fox Sports or some other entity or Amazon gets interested, this could be a problem like you guys are saying. Well, no, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's an interesting point. And, and Drew, I'll let you get to this about uh, about how the streaming services have been struggling financially. When they're struggling financially, that means that they don't have the revenue up or they don't have the capital up front to really invest in sports like we were thinking they might. Now, some of them might be a little bit. 
Right. So I, some of them might be a little bit more forward thinking on that, but I don't know. I think we're, I think we are heading for a consolidation of streaming. And I will say, I, I agree with your point about, about future growth, right? I mean, that's something that we've all been touting for a long time, especially with UCF. But, but that's, the, that's all, that AAC the, in the nutshell, that first deal was all about building the growth, you know, leading to the right. next one. Right. And I still think though, that there are, that there are a lot, the, the overwhelming percentage of people tied to the old big 12, the remaining eight still do not think that way. They still think in the, uh, in the, in the old guard way of, you know, there are brands and there are not brands and, <laughs> and, and, and none of you guys coming in are brands except for quite possibly BYU, who they've actually, it's, it's. Uh, and Jeff froze. Uh, but now Kyle, what I, what I was kind of getting at with the whole BYU thing, remember they're what, cause they're connected to a church. Okay. Uh, you know, they're, they're connected to, to, you know, on the religious side, they have a different kind of branching out. They, the, the, the Mormon church is, very strongly connected in the Pacific Islands. Uh, that's why you see so many uh, Polynesians and Hawaiians and, and Samoans uh, playing for BYU. They, you know, they had you know missionaries over over decade over the decades, you know, you know, out there. So they have a very strong connection. As a result, it's partly why they're, they're they build a build that brand. Now, you know, it's they're a kind of as school. close to Notre Dame as not as you can be without being Notre Dame. Right. I mean, it's one is Catholic, one is Mormon. I mean, that's the big, the big difference. Right. Um, but Notre Dame is still, you know, up here. BYU is still here. But, but I mean, I, I'm actually very thankful that they ended up joining the Big 12 because I know there was a lot of contention uh, originally about them joining because there was a Sunday issue uh, when in 2016 when, when all these schools were doing the, the dog and pony show. And people thought it was a matter of time before BYU left independence and became part of the Big 12. I'm actually happy it's worked out. They are going to help the value of the brand. And it may not be the on-field portion, but they get eyeballs. They get subscribers. They didn't get multi-million dollar deal from ESPN just for their football. Sure. By itself. You know, it, you know it's not like UConn, who's getting you know a few pennies thrown in by CBS Sports Network. ESPN was putting them on prime time. A BYU that is. There's value there. So this next contract is for well, the first contract on the new uh, the new Big Twelve, which will kick in uh, in 2025. Uh, I expect it to be dollar wise lower, but still have plenty of exposure as a way of redefining this conference and reestablishing that Oklahoma and Texas aren't everything. I mean, we all know Texas isn't everything because they've been irrelevant. In, on the football side for a number of years. However, Oklahoma has been very strong and they're going to have to recover from that. And it's going to take time. Well, strong or, or, or sneaking in by technicalities and looking strong. The perception is strength. And I'll agree with you on that. The one thing I would add in here to, to Drew is don't underestimate Texas. Listen, if you're talking about BYU as a religious organization, Texas football is the religion, bro. That's why they're going anywhere. <laughs> well, they, they've left. Oh, you got it. You can't. You can't have them in the equation. You got to take them out completely. That's my that's, point. That's, yeah. It's, well, it's and that's why the strength it's, of that religion that they're going to the SEC. I'm. You know. I. I, it, I yeah. Well, that's why this hurts so much. That, that's why it's going to be a big hit. That's why I think you know, fifteen to twenty is going to be a good number because they're going to take a large financial shock. Because say what you know, 
you know, people could say what they want about, you know, the other big 12 schools. We all know Oklahoma and Texas were the great, we're driving that train. There, no, there's no, no doubt about it. And, right. and now you're, you've got all these secondary programs, you know, not necessarily from the on the fields aspect, but from the value aspect, how much is it, is this school really worth? And, you know, you gotta, you gotta fight that with the, with the media partners. You know, it's like any other commodity. What's this worth? What I'm going to pay for it. That's what it's worth. Yeah, no. And that's not the argument. That's, that's, that I think, I think you le led with a lot of stuff that was certainly adequately stated by the way, negatives with, with leaving out the positive. That's why I, I mentioned what I do and, and please notice um, they were pleased one religious organization, Texas, with the football being with another one. <laughs> well, they got TCU, so it's okay, and yeah. Baylor. But I know Bryson had something to say, so let, let's let him get, get sure. some words in. Yes, because I was talking to you. I'm, I'm more on Kyle's side on, on this thing because I, I think the growth opportunities are there because lest we forget that Texas A&M has become a much bigger brand than entering the SEC before – when they were not in the SEC, like the, in my opinion, AM has become a much bigger brand since moving conferences and escaping the shadow of right. the of Big Brother Texas by going to a separate conference. Now, this is basically the opposite effect. Where now, since Big Brother Oklahoma is leaving for the SEC, Oklahoma State now has the chance to build up its own brand, which they can do with Mike Gundy. And in my opinion, the only obstacle that Oklahoma State had from building up its own brand was Oklahoma. But now with both the, with both them and Texas leaving, Oklahoma State has a much bigger it has a much bigger opportunity now to become its own brand a la Texas AM and join the likes of BYU in that regard opportunity oh, opportunity right, right. but it takes time and that's right. the, that's the issue here that's why that first contract is probably weaker than some want and it's going to hurt some of these big 12 programs and Drew, they need Drew, time to I build that up i need one correction to get out there so people understand what you're saying when you say weaker contract they'll still be getting more money than if they were in the acc if you're a ucf fan right or AAC, yes yes well yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean weaker is as, weaker as contract I yeah. want to make sure that that was clarified for those listening. Yeah, let me clarify. I mean, weaker from the current contract the Big 12 has. There you go. The next contract the Big 12 has, the UCF will benefit from this move. Guaranteed. It's right. not going to be nearly as low as the AAC's current contract. Thank Don't you. worry about that. I, I do make a point of order, and Kyle, I know you were talking about the mullet, um, but <laughs> – <laughs> I'm highly suspicious of stating, oh, they're a brand now because of one person, right? As good a coach as, as he is, you know, we know that the brands that, you, that, that we're kind of talking about here, the Texas's, the Oklahoma's, they're bigger than any one person. If oh, you're sure. Oklahoma State and you're saying we're a brand because Mike Gundy, you're not a brand. I think oh, that, that's an opportunity a, that's to, to, to make that even bigger, right? Mike Gundy is recognizable enough, and regardless of how people on this panel feel about him, he is a dynamic personality that's fun to watch when he's. I mean, and that was that was yes, but that doesn't that make was, but that doesn't make there. Oklahoma State. A brand. I'm getting there, and see, <laughs> I think Bryson just turned forty right before our eyes and became a man because he made the point comparing him to A and M that I was going to use. Well, so, you have a good, you have a good. <laughs> personality to be somebody who 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 uh frankly is a good how you say uh cornerstone 
to be in place to make that band build build and come out from under that shadow of Oklahoma that Drew mentioned. And I can't state this enough. The SEC, I really believe football wise, will bring the Sooners down. And uh, uh, well, let's just say a few pegs will be later than sooner. See what I did? Uh, I got I got to step on this. And I think A&M was not a good example of this because Texas A&M was the third largest brand in the Big 12 uh, by a long shot. Uh, they were a huge. They, they were a huge brand then, and yeah, they grew now. The better example would have been Missouri, who's okay. kind of kind of always been an also ran in the in the Big Twelve, occasionally here and there. Uh, but you know, they yeah, has their brand grown? Sure. Has it really excelled? Mm. <laughs> uh, that's debatable. Fair. Um, I think I think A and M always was going to be great. They, yeah, and, and I think. Uh, them climbing out of Texas shadow was very important for them for their own development because they were always stuck as the kid brother. But but let's let's not make a mistake on how big AM's brand already was. They were always huge. It, it wasn't necessarily the starting point that was being compared there, Drew. I think it's the coming out of the shadow concept. And hey, listen, if if Texas AM has a shorter path to their success to make that happen, great. Maybe Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma State will have to do a bit more. I'm not sure, but in this days, in these days rather, where the con, where where the landscape is constantly changing, you have to be flexible. You have to cater more to younger entities and audiences, not just for fans but players. I mean, listen, nobody at the University of Texas would have ever come up with putting QR codes on the back of jerseys. And if you don't do that kind of stuff or aren't open to evolving with it, you are going to start to fail. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's business Darwinism. You know, it's it's all about evolution. Yeah, you're not going to see QR codes on the back of a jersey during a regular season game because, one, it's illegal. Oh, uh, no, I, I mean, however, I but, but for spring games, it's all about having fun, doing right. different things, stop being the same thing over and over again. That's where a newer brand like UCF can excel. The, the Texas brand, you do something like that, and those old school, some of that old blood is going to cry bloody murder. And uh, pull that, their money. Yeah, and, and potentially pull money. A lot of people got upset over this whole QR thing. I think was, you know that, that part was totally overblown. There were a lot of people complaining about it. I don't see what the big deal is. I thought it was fun. It was different. It's a spring game. I mean, come on. But you know, we talk about the possibility of Oklahoma State growing as a brand. I think they will, but they need a little help. They need Oklahoma to struggle in the SEC. They, they need them to be taken out of the headlines. If Oklahoma does well in the SEC, Oklahoma State's not going to grow all that much. It's going to be incremental, and it's not going to be enough to really make a huge difference on, for that school. Uh, oh, that's agreed. why UCF's win over Florida, uh, while a lot of you know a lot of Florida fans poo pooed it, it was very important. <laughs> it, it, you know that on, the only time you can ever really say establish dominance is by settling on the field. And when you're doing, when you're a smaller brand going up against a bigger brand, you have to win every opportunity you can get. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were given a, a great opportunity and took advantage of it with a, with a, a very sound win uh, has, has meaning when we've, we've seen it locally, you know, it's the same thing, you know, when, when with the big 12 with Oklahoma playing Oklahoma state and the, and the Bedlam game was always a big deal. Well, if that game goes away, which I don't know if it will or won't, we, you know, we don't know yet. I'd love to believe see it, it stay. Would. Yeah. I hope it stays. I think those kind of, those kind of regional rivalries are dying from all this real alignment crap and it's, it's damaged college sports as a whole uh, on a material level. Uh, but assuming that game continues, 
not only is that head-to-head matchup important, but being the smaller brand, they need big brand to struggle. That's one reason why Texas A&M rose so much because Texas fell and there was a gap and there was an opening for, for that to, of opportunity. And A&M took advantage of it uh, with, you know, yeah, sure. They had to go up against LSU, Alabama mm-hmm. and whatnot, but one, you're in the SEC, you automatically get a boost up from that, but they didn't lay down and die and not go to a bowl game like Texas did on multiple occasions. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, it's funny. You mentioned this example, UCF going to bowl games and beating a, a once major power in the state while other major powers in the state don't even attend bowl games. I, I see where you're going with that 100%, but I'll, I'll just ask this question so you know why I'm very confident in Oklahoma State growing. What's more likely to happen in the SEC with Oklahoma? They struggle, they don't struggle. I think they're going to struggle. I think they'll be number two, I, number I think three it in depends the West. On, I think it depends on what your definition of struggle is. Yeah, if you go nine wins in the SEC, is that really struggling? I would say they'll get eight by by Oklahoma's standards. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, but but in reality, let's think about you know because you know w- you know when you got the goggles on by SEC standards, no. <laughs> when you're cutting off the circulation, the rest of your head, uh, you may think anything less than twelve wins is a failure. But well, you know, reality not- says otherwise. <laughs> let's let's put it this way: the Oklahoma Sooners are thus named for those who are on bandwagons of some fourth. <laughs> yes. We're waiting to get those Oklahoma fans to jump off the bandwagon when they start getting those eight and nine win seasons. Yeah. And I do not have faith that they stay on to make it all the way West. If you catch the analogy, Oklahoma is Oklahoma either way. But I think, I think, but obviously the most important thing as we wrap up this portion of the segment is, you know, right now getting that new commissioner on board it, just a couple of hours ago, KansasCity.com reporting, that uh, K-State's athletic director, Gene Taylor, uh, said that uh, the most important priority for whoever the new commissioner is, is sitting down with the, quote, sitting down with the television partners and negotiating a good deal for us. Of course, a reminder that TV contracts expire after the 2024-25 season. And of course, the conference will have a much different look going forward by then obviously the second bit that's is such a water's wet comment though that's such a water's wet comment i mean duh i really yeah. but but you know it's good but you know it may or may not inform you know who it is that they're looking looking at for a commissioner somebody who has a real good relationship with the tv networks i think would be uh, a well, good place this to start is no different than when the big east law um Got rid of John Marinato. I mean, it was the same issue. First guy. We did not have in. a good relationship with the TV people. No, that, that, that was a disaster. Um, they, their first mission was negotiate a new TV deal. I mean, it's like history repeating itself. But I, I hope that I, I'll be honest. I want Oliver Luck to be the guy. That's that's my guy. That would be toy. Uh, that would be. And I know he was one of the candidates we talked about. I think he would be great. Uh, I I hope that they, they make a sound decision like something like that and, and not someone who's just going to lay down for peanuts. Yeah, we've seen, no, we've, I, seen I we've seen that kind of decision before. All right. Uh, so we'll leave it right there for now and we'll just wait and see how this uh, all continues to play out. So our, our next order is obviously hoping to see who that next commissioner of the Big 12 will be. All right, let's wrap real quick. Bryson, you're going to be keeping an eye on the uh, NCAA East prelims. Uh, what are the big events? Not all of them, but what are the big names that we're going to be looking for? 
All right. Well, uh, one of them, as we're recording this right now, we are about 10 minutes out from the UCF track and field beginning action. And that will include Renaya Jones and Selena Wright in the first round of the 100 meter hurdles. If the, um, I'm looking at the start lines right now, basically the top three in each heat plus the next six best times from those heats will be moving on to the next portion of the competition, which will be the 100 meter hurdle quarterfinal on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. So that'll be something to keep, to keep an eye on, to keep an eye on or see the results of once this show goes live. Uh, Then we also have Latasha Smith, who is going to be competing in the 400 in the first round for the 400 meter dash at um so you can look at that result once this show goes up if it's up by then and that they will also and that's also to for to to do well in advance to the next quarterfinal um all the track events basically have a, another quarterfinal on saturday so these today's results basically in, in, inform who's going to be competing there and then you also have the field events the only field event today for UCF will be Jasmine Scott Kilgo and Brittany Floyd and Brittany Floyd by the way is already going to Eugene because she qualified for the heptathlon which they don't have in the preliminaries all She's the heptathlon right. selections immediately go to Eugene so Brittany Floyd so she gets an extra break <laughs> well, she's just going to, I think she's just going to hone her long jump skills. Cause that's something she's probably going to need. I believe she needs to do for the heptathlon. So uh, competing in the long jump can help her improve on that for the heptathlon and uh, to, for the heptathlon. So that is also going to be here today as well. But I would say the big names to look for are going, at least today are going to be Renaya and Latasha Smith. And then on Saturday, you have Ashira Collins competing in the triple jump to see if she can make a return to Eugene from last season. So we'll see how well that goes. I think the, the, that Renaya, Latasha, and Ashira are probably my three biggest picks on advancing to Eugene, though I will give an outside chance to Charlotte Crook in the 1,500-meter run and Adrian Adams in the discus throw, because if they have good performances, I think they could get in, but I'm more confident in those first three. Yeah, you got that. And also a a shout out to Marie Mattel, also for the UCF women's tennis team. Lost in the first round of the uh, NCAA, again, just to even get on that that slate uh, for the NCAA singles is an achievement on its own. So congrats to Marie on that. So um, that's going to do it. For us here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast, thanks to you for listening. Of course, you can always catch us on Apple or Android devices. Thanks to Kyle, the SOTG for the student of the game on Twitter. Thanks to Drew, Statboy Drew on Twitter. Uh, the Leroy Jenkins of the UCF Twitter Mafia. Thanks to Bryson. It's Bryson Turner uh, on Twitter. And thanks to Eric, Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter. So you can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and co- follow us collectively at UCF Banner at underscore SBN. Don't forget, we got... Uh, softball coming up baseball throughout the weekend hopefully uh and follow us for all the latest as we wind down the spring and head towards the summer we're going to have some good feature stuff coming up for you in the summer as well as we uh get ready for as we make the transition from the 2021-22 year to the 2022-23 year quite possibly UCF's last in the American you will have to see so for all of us here at Black Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Go Knights. Charge on. <laughs>